0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Wooden O. My name is Daniel, and I'm Monty. And today on This Wooden O, we have a very old friend of ours. He is a, a former actor and now uh, the owner of internationally known JoJo T. <laughs> That's right. And he's welcome to <laughs> This Wooden O, Mr. Mike Ortiz. How are you, sir? Thank you, guys. Hey, I'm Mike. Great, man. I couldn't it's be so better. So good to see you. Yeah, man. It's
1: so good to see you guys. How man. long is it? I think it's literally maybe been like 10 years. Like 10 I said years, years, man. Yeah. yeah. Jesus.
0: Unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, now it's rectified. I well, to get away with calling me Danny. Oh, yeah? That's <laughs> how so far oh, back heard it that. goes, that. All man. right.
1: Yeah, man. Oh, Danny, this mm. is never... <laughs> Shut the fuck up, <laughs> Oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to re-edit every single episode, and I'm just going to say Danny every time that you say Daniel. Just, like,
0: drop it into every past episode. Like, my name is... Danny, yeah, exactly. Exactly, (laughs) oh my god. Um, so I'm really happy that this came together in the way that it did. Uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, a few episodes back, we had a conversation with Rude Groom Sharer Deb Radloff about finding your weirdos like finding the people uh, whose work and artistry that you respect and being proactive about reaching out and establishing community with people because that is how you practice and how you grow. And, uh, and the way that this episode actually came together is um, you had reached out and said, like, you really enjoyed an episode that we had done with Anya Saffer, And I we responded back like, Mike, that's really kind. Thank you. It'd be great to have you on for an episode if you're ever in New York. And you responded, I'm in New York this weekend. Can we make something happen? And now here we are. So it goes back to the same conversation. Like, find your people and just keep communication open because you never know what's going to come of it.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. and like uh, how how wonderful for uh, Anya to have served as a bridge to get us together. Because, man, like I can't say enough how wonderful it was to listen to that episode. Anya is uh, one of the most inspirational people just ever like she's like a she's like a fire that just never stops burning. I feel like you know um theater is a, is like that you know if 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 I can even say you know pardon my presumptuousness because I've been out of theater for a long time but like theater ultimately is about people going after what they want, you know? And I feel like I wouldn't uh,
0: disagree with that, yeah.
2: And I feel like Anya made that so undeniable not just in like uh studying script analysis but in the way that she taught students to to break down their own fears and to get past their mental barriers and to and to push
0: beyond it. I think um one of the things one of the most important things I learned in Anya's script analysis class all the years that we took it had everything and nothing to do with theater. I think the biggest takeaway that I took from Anya's class and the way that she conducted a room was Don't apologize for taking up space. Like, don't apologize for, you know, for telling your story and like being authentically you. One of the things that I was always impressed with was if somebody would ask her, do you all remember this? If somebody would ask her a question and she didn't have the answer readily available, she would actually take the time to silently contemplate. Yeah in class and, like, think about it. And she was so comfortable with the silence. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody started to repeat the question. and She was like, no, no, I heard you. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and just so matter of fact about, like, I don't have it yet, but I'm working it out. Yeah. Give me a minute. Let me process it so that I can answer you fully.
2: Yeah, and as a young actor, you, like, you feel like, uh like, you need to have all the answers because if you don't have all the answers, you're not an actor, Mm. right? What is an actor, like... If you're playing all these different roles, you must have like, you must have some sort of enlightened perspective that spans all of them. And if you don't have that enlightened perspective, are you really an actor? You know, when you're an 18 year old kid that has Absolutely. no idea what the hell they're thinking Right. Yeah. and watching somebody that was so thoroughly talented and so thoroughly dedicated, not know and be comfortable with that was a tremendous lesson i i agree absolutely
0: yeah well it's like it the that was i remember that was always the prevailing thought it was like you had to you had to always have the answer ready you always had to have the solution but then you get older and you figure out that what makes a good actor compelling is not the answers but the constant asking of the questions absolutely and that's that's one of those things that in like a crucible type situation like Atlantic yes. was, where yeah. you're you like you're constantly having your feet held to the fire. At a certain point, you just have to be comfortable with the idea that like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out. I'm doing the work, but I don't know.
2: Yeah. And, 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 uh, and give that vulnerability, you yes. know, that's like, uh, that, that search was the, was the beauty is the beauty, you know, now what is the beauty? That search is what makes uh, what makes art compelling, right? Yeah. That search is the art. Yeah. Right? I've heard that Salvador Dali uh, used to say that whenever uh, he would make a mistake in his painting, he would forget what the painting was supposed to be and make the whole painting about the mistake. Oh, oh that's, oh, that's beautiful. my favorite thing. That's right. amazing.
1: Well, to, to me, the thing is always that like the, when you, losing everything is not caused by the little mistake. Mm. It's caused by the beating yourself up afterwards. Yep.
2: That's the story that that, that, that keeps us from progress, you know, in, in, in all things, you know, beyond art, you know, and and like now uh, I'm suddenly an entrepreneur and like, I haven't met this, this business that, you know, we'll get into, but like, man, it, like when I, I started this company with $2,000 and we, we closed this, we closed 2019 at $488,000 in sales. That's amazing it's,
0: it's oh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy.
2: <laughs> We're sipping a, a beautiful 2001
1: raw pour and we'll discuss what that means. Yeah. Speak, speaking of this business that you've started and, yeah. and those sounds that just occurred in people's ears. Yeah. Uh, what, what are we sipping right now? This is, sure, sure. So uh,
2: actually, first I'd like to uh, address the sound. So when you, when, at home, what, whenever you're sipping tea, There's a really specific way to drink it to make sure that you get the most complete expression of the flavor. So when you sip, you kind of slurp it. You want to slurp it at the front of the mouth, kind of create a tiny little like pucker pucker your lips and breathe in like that. So when you sip it, it'll kind of sound like this. And then once the tea's in your mouth, you can pull it to the back of your mouth by pulling the sides of your mouth down, putting the tongue up against the roof of the mouth so that the tea kind of rides the tongue down into the
1: throat. And you do just like that. Hmm. Right? Well, I'm getting better at it. It took like 14 times, but I feel like that time it actually, like it really... Yeah. It's, it's very satisfying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's a complete flavor experience, you know? I am blown away that you've been able to do all of this incredible work. And discovery. And it sounds like a whole philosophy surrounding tea. So how did you get from a black box practice room over on 16th Street and 8th Avenue yeah. like, doing script analysis and vocal work and movement to running this entire tea company how where did the jump come from sure, sure, how, did, sure. how do you connect those two
1: and as you answer that for people who don't know you as well as we do mm-hmm. can you also describe like what the what jojo tea is yeah, yeah yeah
2: absolutely So jojo tea is a company i started in 2011 we mostly sell tea to a lot of uh restaurants hotels coffee shops bakeries uh we just um have hooked up our first cruise line where honored and it's ridiculous it's amazing we're working with uh sir richard branson and virgin cruise lines yeah
1: that's who we have on this (laughs) (laughs) week
2: my senior year at nyu some of our classmates put together ebe ensemble 11 benevolent elephants i'm not as uh linguistically
0: still nailed agile as i was back in the day
2: (laughs) but the ebe ensemble i remember like um kind of like seeing what those guys were doing. And, you know, I, I was, a, I was able to act in a couple of their productions. We did, I, we did one of your plays. You were in our very first production. Yeah, yeah. It was, of when course. You? Yeah. And it was, and you wrote it. Yeah. And once I, you know, once I graduated, I thought, all right, well, you know, now it's time to become a movie star, you know? <laughs> right. And I started How's going. How's it going? Yeah, it's great. Uh, I've got Speed 3 coming out. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember, you know, I remember I'll like. I look for it on Crackle. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I remember going to auditions and I remember meeting agents and meeting managers and kind of just being creeped out by the whole dynamic of it. I felt like, they felt like I was something between a prostitute and a piece of furniture.
1: Hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like,
2: do this, do that, do this. Now stand there and just, just stay. Okay. All right. So the actor, we don't have to worry about him. And then, you know, I just kind of like, um, I guess I was too arrogant to take that. I was like, uh, I was like, man, this isn't what I wanted to do, you know? And, uh, I loved our work in the EBE ensemble because we were putting up theater, you know, and I, and I loved doing theater, you know, that was like, that was amazing. It was a blast, you know, but then in 2008, my dad had a heart attack, uh, down in Miami. So I decided I'd go down to Miami and spend time with the family and like spend time with my dad. And during that time, you know, like in, in NYU, we did a lot of like voice work. We did a lot of breath work. We did a lot of movement work. And that, the Suzuki, remember Suzuki? Hell oh, yeah. And viewpoints. What a f-
1: oh, vengeance.
2: amazing experience that was. Like, uh, just what a free experience that was. And what an opportunity to explore impulse, you know? And that got me interested in yoga. And I was also like a complete astronaut in college. I was on acid all the time and like (laughs) fucking eating mushrooms and, uh, tripping out, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, uh, and like, uh, the combination of like breath work and voice work and that kind of like psychedelic experience made me really curious about yoga and about meditation and Eastern spirituality in in general. Mm -hmm. And the idea of spirituality as a practice instead of as a series of myths or a series of rules. So I decided to like uh when I moved down to Miami I figured I'd like dive deep into yoga and I became a yoga instructor I got my certification whatever But then like a lot of my students used to ask me hey can you teach me about meditation and I'm like man I don't know how to do that I'm not a guru you know I don't know how to teach people how to meditate so I started looking for somebody that could teach me how to teach meditation I met this lady and her practice was brewing tea for people But the crazy thing about it is that like she was a accomplished master of Tibetan Buddhism of Chinese Buddhism, Chan Buddhism, and of Japanese Zen Buddhism, she was like recognized in all of those lineages as a, as a master. And in Taoism, she was recognized as a master of their meditation practice as well. It's called Qi Gong, right? So I made this lady, I'm like, wow, like this lady has like all of the mystic
1: angles covered. May I ask? So in terms of like, for people who maybe aren't familiar, like I'm not with, uh, with Buddhism, is that like... Is the is the range in those different levels of expertise like from Eastern Orthodox to Mormon, or is it like like from Presbyterian to Methodist? I think
2: it, the difficulty about it is that it's like uh, it's a whole different language of spirituality because it's mm. all based on practices, you know. Hmm. So like Tibetan Buddhism, and they ha- they they have this path like they they have what's called the Mahayana path. That's the great vehicle, right? And the great vehicle is like you take something called the Bodhisattva vow where you vow that you will never achieve enlightenment until first you make sure that all living beings have achieved enlightenment. Wow. Mm. So it's like, it, there's no, you're not in it for yourself. You're in it to help people figure out how to get rid of their suffering. And That's called Bodhisattva. Maha, great Mahāyana is vehicle. Mahayana. Mahayana. Yeah. Is the great vehicle of Buddhism, right? Then there's um, Hinayana is the individual vehicle, the small vehicle. So that's like the person that retires to the woods, builds himself a cabin and lives in meditation and lives off of the land and achieves tremendous depths of consciousness and achieves tremendous levels of enlightenment, but they're not out teaching people. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. That's the small vehicle. Then there's the Vajrayana. Vajrayana is like the... The tantric path—it's like the lightning bolt. It's like you achieve enlightenment and you enlighten others instantly, based on these like spiritual practices that have been passed on for well over a thousand years in Tibet.
1: That's Tibetan Buddhism, right? Sorry to be a dude from Texas. Tantric is not just sex.
2: No, no, tantric just means a spiritual practice, right? Like the what, uh. what, 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 and and like tantric sex is sex as a spiritual practice. Okay. That's why there's the restraint, you know, you don't, you don't let yourself, uh, orgasm for, you know, well, it's tricky. You don't let yourself have physical, uh, excretion. You like try to like, uh, subvert, like, uh, harness the energy of orgasm, but you use your muscles to keep it from coming out. But so in tantric Buddhism, you, that's every element of your life. In tantric Buddhism, it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you know what a mandala is? Yeah. So a mandala, yeah, you like create this like map of the universe, right? And that's like the practice of creating a mandala. In tantric Buddhism, the world is your mandala and your life is your prayer. And you practice meditation with certain breathing exercises and certain visualizations to help you uh, engender that worldview, right? Hmm. Wow. That's Vajrayana Buddhism. That's like and there it's, it's like people achieve some really cool, like levels of wisdom and levels of consciousness that are amazing. So, but that's just Tibetan Buddhism, you know, then Chinese Buddhism is influenced by, by it's called Chan, that that's where Zen comes from. So Chan Buddhism is like influenced by Taoism. It's influenced more, it's influenced by, um, kind of like a combination of sociology and psychology and ecology as well. Because, you know, you're like uh, integrating your natural environment and you're integrating your breath and you're integrating the rhythm of your breath into your meditation. But it's not so much for a particular visualization. It's more to transcend the intellectual mind in general, right? And that's along the same lines as Zen Buddhism, right? So, yeah. So, like, like, I always thought that, like, man, if I just meet the person that has the right mystical practices for me, like, I'll be able to achieve some really cool depths and I'll be able to, like, you know, help people crack through their suffering and like understand what's causing it and be able to root it out just by saying hello. You the know? lightning
1: bolt. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so at, at that point was your goal to become, to to like spend your life exploring Buddhism? Was that yes. Was that becoming the NLBL? My goal was to
2: like dedicate myself fully to spiritual practice and to helping people understand what's causing them to suffer. And then to be able to snip that at the intellectual root of it, let's say, mm-hmm. like just as these thoughts that 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 were leading them down these paths were beginning to bubble up in their subconscious, trying to find ways to cut it out right at that moment, you know, that was my goal. But I didn't understand because the teacher, her practice was brewing tea for people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you like studied with the masters and you're like, oh, that's fine, but... Have you tried this tea? Oh <laughs> vengeance. What are you talking about, lady? Like this is crazy, you know. But whatever, she insisted. Let's have tea. Let's have tea. And I spent three years uh, studying meditation with her and Buddhism. And like, event I got to a point that I was leading meditations every day and uh you know when people would come to the temple i would lead meditation but then when people didn't come she would lead me directly one on one in meditation instruction hmm. so i was really lucky so what would what would a given day
1: during those 3 years look like
2: i'd wake up at my house at about 6 i'd get to the temple by 6:30 we'd start meditation at 6:30 every morning
1: then i would
2: cook breakfast then we'd talk about what projects were coming up because we were always involved with different non-profit projects you know hmm. and we would do work on that it was also a lot of like just kind of hospitality keep keeping the place clean um going to the market figuring out what are we going to have for lunch today you know because at at any it's a it's a temple at any given time people can just drop in you know and like if people drop in during lunchtime it's the policy of the temple okay well we we should feed you you know what i mean if we're we're not going to be like we're here, here eating lunch and then some people walk in oh hey and just keep eating you know like this person came to a temple right wow so we have
1: to like invite them in and share you know so any starving actors, yeah, so go find temple. a temple. That's right, absolutely.
0: Now, I've I've got a question um, before you before you continue. How? Because this sounds like a an incredibly special relationship that developed between the two of you how did that come about did it just sort of fall together did you seek did you seek her out f- specifically for this purpose how did you all develop such a closeness because
2: i i like like we said like i i really wanted to like dedicate my life to that practice you know but
0: what what made it so that cuz it sounds like she sort of took you on as a as a protege yeah. of sorts yeah so how did how did that come up how did that come about
2: the quickest answer is that i don't know i think that i was so impressed by the fact that this was her practice i felt like she understood that in a level that none of the other yogis that i had encountered did you know all of the other like there's so many yogis in the world that they can achieve tremendous levels of meditation and tremendous depth of consciousness and they can meditate for 12 hours at a time but they can't leave their apartment hmm. because the f- oh, vengeance. F- fluorescent lights f- oh, vengeance. F- with their cheat, And it's like, bro, like, all right, then how, then how, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like, well, then how useful is your trip that you're on? You know? Right. right. And, um, and I never wanted to be like that, you know? And, uh, And this lady like, you know, she, anybody that came in a homeless Vietnam vet, she'd brew them tea and she'd welcome them and talk to them. A cop, she'd brew them tea and welcome them and talk to them. A federal judge would come in. She'd brew them tea and talk to them. Group of kids from the local school would come in. She'd brew them tea and talk to them. But at any rate, yeah, I just, um, I basically, I wasn't like, I didn't give her the opportunity to say no you know, mm-hmm. I just like, okay, I'm coming back tomorrow. And you know, like, and I didn't, I, I didn't tell her I'm going to be back tomorrow. I just come back the next day and say, Oh, is there anything I can do to help? You know, whatever. And then like, you know, as, as she saw that I was doing more stuff and like that, that, that where I was coming from wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to do stuff. that's going to help me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, this needs to be done. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? So then she kind of like took me under her wing more and, and taught me more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, to to get back to how like uh, how the tea thing really kind of solidified sure we had tasted a lot of different kinds of teas and you know she would brew tea and i noticed that whenever she would brew tea there was this there was this like gravity to the moment she would brew tea and it felt like the city got quiet and then one day she kind of just threw me into the fire because like at this time, I was like really romantically, like naively obsessed with Buddhism and with these spiritual practices, you know? Mm-hmm. So this guru was coming from, uh, Nepal, right? And, uh, no, from Tibet, right? And, uh, he's like really, really high in this lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. When he finally gets there, I had never brewed tea. I had just seen Master Sai is her name, Master Sai. I have just seen Master Sai brew tea several times, right? Mm-hmm. So Master Sai is like the, uh, the guru comes in, he sits down and Master Sai is like, Hey, Michael, brew us tea. And then she just turns around and keeps talking to the group oh, in wow. Chinese.
1: Oh,
2: no. Wow. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> so, dude, like, I, and all the tins with the names of the teas are written in Chinese. So I didn't know what the. Oh! i was like what oh my god and i just start opening tins and looking for anything that looked the least bit familiar i grabbed the the teapot that i that i think that she used to use i don't know you know i just grab it and i just okay i'm gonna just do what i remember her doing and hope for the best and i and i like went through the steps that i remember her doing and then i poured it and i just give it to them and they sip it and they just keep talking and oh thank you and they just sip it and keep talking like if nothing you know and that made me interested in brewing tea, that moment, you know, that it was like, well, from now on, I want to be ready. Mm-hmm. If she ever says, hey, Mike, brew us tea. I don't want to have to go into a whole panic and freak out about
0: mm-hmm. my life, you know, I want to yeah. just be able to make the tea, you know. Yeah.
2: So I decided to start uh, practicing, you know, and I would just practice with the teaware at the temple, you know, and then I started practicing at home. And then I get a little teapot and I'm practicing at home and making tea at home.
1: And when you say practicing, were you just uh, learning by watching or did she ad- No, yeah, teach you? No,
2: learning by watching. She didn't, she didn't teach me anything about tea until I had been brewing tea for over a year. Really? Yeah, literally. She didn't teach me anything about tea until I had already been brewing tea for over a year. I would brew tea at the temple regularly. And then one day she was like, all right, I'm going to show you how to make tea.
0: Huh.
1: (laughs) If only theater worked like that. Oh my God. Oh,
0: that would be dope. That's great.
1: Yeah. Once you've been performing for a year. Hey, bro. Then someone says,
0: says, I'm gonna teach you how to act. yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: There's our opportunity, man. Right. That's that's the that's the next theater school. In my company, there's a girl from China that she approached us for an internship while she was getting her graduates degree in hospitality management. And I said, Listen, okay, you wanna you wanna get an internship with us? I'll tell you what. I'd be happy to do that. It's an unpaid internship for a year. Your job description, figure out how to make enough revenue to hire you and sponsor your visa when you graduate. Oh. Wow. And if you can do that, you got the job. And she's been with us since 2014.
0: Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's incredible.
2: I started brewing tea at home and then, uh, and then Master Sai brewed this tea for me called uh, Oriental Beauty. Uh, we discussed it briefly. It had this amazing nuanced balance, this flavor profile of grilled peaches and honey and it just sat on my breath like nothing that I had ever tasted before. And as soon as I tasted it, I said, okay, this practice, because the practice of brewing tea, mm. right? Like you, when I brewed tea there, there was no scale. There was no stopwatch. There was no thermometer. There was no timer, right? That's what they call in, in Chinese Kung Fu. Your, your skill in something, your practice and your attention to detail and your goal of mastery by attention to detail and practice. That's, that's the tea practice that I learned with her and it started by brewing tea by counting your breaths the the retronasal f- finish of tea the way it sits on your breath if you're sitting and contemplating your breath and exploring each inhale and exploring each exhale and really paying careful attention to the movement in your body and the flavors of the of the breath it's uh
1: it's tremendous it's like floating on clouds my, my, my nasal passages now that I I'm still not even all the way through this wine glass of tea which I also <laughs> want to ask you about later they feel 50% more Open. open and, yeah. and recept like, I'm, um, and more than that, aware of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome.
2: Uh, you feel, I, I, I want, I'm sorry, I don't yeah. want to get off topic, but
1: you feel more openness in your, in your nasal passages? Yeah. Like, I mean, just physically, they feel like they are literally 50% larger. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, I feel like I'm aware of them much higher up than oh, I yes, usually yeah. am. Okay. I'm usually only aware of the, of, of where they meet the outside air and now i feel like i'm aware up closer to my eyes you know what a monoculture is Mm -hmm.
2: yeah if you can't get that on tea that's grown on 16 miles 16 square miles of just tea that every bush is sucking the same nutrients out of the soil so you got to replenish it uh, synthetically you're not getting that you know this is like a that's chi that's actual energy that's like moving through with your air you know Hmm. and that's like it, it's 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 trippy because it's like a different world, you know. it's oh, like absolutely! Tea is like a food item. We think of like, oh, well, it tastes like this. It's like, bro, well, how does it make your f- oh
1: vengeance
2: in front of your face feel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that the I need you as an acting company. teacher?
0: Tea, <laughs> how does it make your f- oh? Field, bro. <laughs> the point, though, I think the what I'm hearing is that I'm never going to be able to drink just like Lipton out of the box tea again.
2: Not any particular brand, but we have to understand the place of British colonialism in mm-hmm. the history of tea. Mm. And we have to understand how much tea is the product of slave labor. And we have to understand the fact that the pricing of tea was set up and established during a time of colonial slave labor Mm. and if you're paying four cents for your tea bag, the chances that the person that grew that tea, the person that plucked that tea, the person that rolled that tea and bruised it, the person that oversaw its oxidation, the person that oversaw its roasting, the person that oversaw its packaging, the person that oversaw its distribution, the chances of each of those people getting paid a fair cut if you're paying four cents a bag is just impossible. Right, yeah, it's zero. It's impossible. You know that's like part of my mission, man. It's like if such a beautiful thing exists, why are we drinking mango guava bullshit?
1: Oh, vengeance!
2: You know, if you right. like mango, have a
1: mango. Right. <laughs> if you like, this is something else. You know, why add natural flavors when there are natural flavors that are yeah, already exactly already present?
0: That is, I feel like step one. Yeah. Right. Just figuring out what it is you're going to do. How did you then? get it off the ground to where it is today? Was that a difficult process? Was that, was it all straightforward like that? Did the steps seem to lay themselves out in front of you or did you really have to, how much planning did you have to do?
2: I felt like, man, if I can find a way to get pure tea in front of people and have them play with it, I bet that they're going to discover much more than I can ever teach them. You Mm. know what I mean? And I would go to Whole Foods and be like, hey, I'm looking for just a oolong tea. And they'd be like, oh, well here. I'm like, no, 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 not strawberry oolong tea. I'm talking about oolong tea. Oh no, I'm sorry, we don't have that. What? Then yeah, of course. And then I go to Tivana, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm looking for like straight Taiwanese oolong. They're like, oh, well, we have we have one unflavored oolong tea. I'm like, <laughs> bro, just in Taiwan, there's like eight different categories of oolong tea. Mm-hmm. Not to speak of China, and then in China, there's. You know several categories, like three main growing regions. And then within each of those growing regions, there's many different categories. You know, mm-hmm. so I decided that I wanted to start the tea company. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the members of the temple was this guy Pepe Badia. Badia is a famous spice company in Miami. And I walk up to Pepe one day. I'm like, Hey, Pepe, you know, I've been thinking about it, man. I think there's a lot of opportunity in tea, and I I really want to start a little company. And he's like, Yeah, well. You know, what? My, my assistant and I just went to the World Tea Expo this year and we walked to the floor of the expo together and we have, you know, like I have my bag and she has her bag. I'll give you one of the bags. And just like that, I had access to every wholesaler and distributor of tea in the US. Oh my Unbelievable. God. Wow. And I was able to scrap together $2,000 and I bought, I started the LLC and I, I didn't know the names of any of the teas. I just knew what they looked like from the temple. So I start flipping through catalogs and I'm like, oh, that one looks familiar. I'll order a sample of it. F- flip through more. Okay, that one looks familiar. I'll order a sample. And I just start flipping through catalogs and ordering samples, and I start tasting them and I'm like, man, okay, this one's pretty good. And okay, it turns out that this white tea is called Silver Needle. Okay, okay, it turns out that that uh, this oolong is called White Tip Bai Hao. Okay, cool. And then I started going like that, you know, ordering the samples from the photos. And then finding the ones that the
1: flavor profile woke up something in my memory, you know? It's almost mm-hmm. like you had to learn how to buy tea the same way that you had to learn how to make tea. Yeah. At the Right. Monster. Yeah. 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 It's
2: like, it was, like a, it was, it was just trial and error. And like, you know, just taste it and see what you like and see what I can get in at a price point. You know, as it is, I was asking people to pay like multiple times what they would ever think about paying for tea.
0: How much of this was learning as you went along and then how much of it was you know research as your company continued to grow and you continued to expand
2: yeah i think like uh the two are inseparable okay because it's like dude i studied acting in college and then i was a yoga teacher right So, I I didn't know what an invoice was when I started my company, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would just basically like in between joints, I would go sell tea to friends of mine, (laughs) you know, and and try to teach them how to brew tea, you know. I think I have a great concept for a new HBO show. (laughs) 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 That's it. That's, That's all it was at the beginning. But then this little French bakery that my mom used to go have croissants at in the morning, she told the owner, hey, you know, my son's starting a tea company. And the lady said, wow, you know, I'd love to taste it. Maybe we'll sell his tea. And I, and I, and I go to the, to the bakery and I, and I brew tea for her and I taste her on all the teas and she, her mind is blown and she's like, oh, Hey, this is amazing. How much is it? I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I paid this much for it. You tell me what's fair. I have no idea what I'm doing, you know? Oh, wow. And she was like, whoa, is that okay, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like, uh, and, she, and you know, and we, we agreed on a price and I said, all right, cool. Yeah, when do you want your first order?
1: I'll have it over whenever you want. And so for that French, so like, the, as you've been talking about, there's this whole ritual to it. There's this whole like, I mean, completely new to me how we've been yeah. drinking it. Is that what they do at this French no, bistro? No, no,
2: no. Because like, it, it became very clear to me quickly. Like at first I was like, kind of trying to insist on brewing, uh, on her, on them doing loose leaf tea. Mm. But it's like, you know, these people have hundreds of people coming in and out quick. Right. So then I I just made it a mission to try and find like the the quality of tea leaf that you could brew in that style in a tea bag. And I was able to find a company that made uh, those sachets out of soy.
1: Oh, great. And okay, let's move forward with it, you know? And Why was it important to you that it was made out of soy? Because
2: I didn't, I didn't want to be putting plastic into the world, you know? It's just going to sit there for however many thousands of years, you know? So then I just start going to different restaurants and I'm like, hey, uh, I have tea. Yeah, what the hell? Did I, like, I didn't know anything, you know? I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I really like your restaurant. I have, I, I sell tea. And they're like, you sell tea? Like, bro, I'm, I live in Miami. Right. This is not Tea Town. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Pina Colada Town. Right. You know? Exactly. Uh, so people were like, "Tea, huh?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know," and I, and and it was ridiculous. Like that's when like the the humility of auditioning helped me a lot. Oh, I'm sure. Dude, yeah. I had I had chefs that like their living their dining room was full of guests, mm-hmm. and I'd walk up and say, "Hey, I have some tea. Would, are you interested in tasting it?" And they would literally tell me, "Look at all these people sitting here eating." They don't give a shit about tea. Oh, wow. You're in the wrong market. Wow. And I'm like, well, can I at least give you some samples? You can taste them on your own time and let me know what you think. Yeah. Don't even waste the samples. Really? Oh, my God. All right. Thank you for your
0: time.
1: Yeah.
2: Move on. You smoke a joint and punch a pillow, and
0: then punch a punching bag, and then move on. the parallels between that, oh yeah, and auditioning are like overwhelming same thing. When, like when it's somebody same thing. when somebody's telling you like you're in the wrong market, this isn't for you, like don't waste your time, like don't yeah. waste your time. I feel like we've been talking about this a lot, this comes yeah, up I a yeah. lot this the kind of resilience that it takes to. Believe in what it is that you have to offer Mm. and believe that it is something that should be shared and that you are doing something that is unique and worth people's time. Yeah. Even when they do not under, even when they don't recognize it or appreciate it. And 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 the importance of
1: perseverance. Of of course. showing up again. And in
2: acting, it's much more difficult than, dude, if you're in business and you're selling something. It's like, all right, whatever. That guy's an asshole. But at the end of the day, he's not refusing me. He's refusing some leaves in a bag, Mm.
0: whatever. Did it ever get to a place for you? Because this sounds like from the way you've described it, like tea, even though at this point you're in a, in the business of tea where you're trying to like, where you're monetizing it, but it also sounds like it's an all encompassing thing for you. So was it hard for you to separate? Like when somebody was telling you like, you're in the the wrong market. Was it hard for you to separate yourself from somebody rejecting your business? Of course. How did you separate the two of those? I just, I, I, truthfully, I just go knock on the next door. Mm.
2: You know, it's like that's something that I that's something that I learned at NYU, man. Like the only the only thing that 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 you know for sure in this world, I think, is that if you try to do something good, people are gonna spit on it. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I think that it's like. Uh, if that's going to stop you from doing it, then, um, then it wasn't real in the first place. Well, know? that makes me think, too, yeah. about
1: what you were talking about, about little mistakes, right? And, and the idea that, like, in karate or, or in anything, the little mistake is not what stops you. It's yeah. only yourself that stops you.
0: There was a period a few years ago where I just had a really bad audition. Mm. Like just by my stand, by anybody's stand, it's just like not a good one. And (laughs) I was really down about it. And having a moment where I was like, I was wondering if this is what I was supposed to do. And like, if if that's what I was walking into the room with, it's like, are you supposed to, are you supposed to be doing this? Is this like, it was a real crisis of conscience moment. And, um, I was in, I was in church that week. Uh, of all places. And they were having uh, the sermon was about like persever- perseverance and resilience. And I remember the pastor said something that I will never forget, totally not about me, but you know, when you have those moments where it's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. He said, The only time that you cannot afford to fail is the last time that you are willing to try. Hmm. So it's like, hmm. if this isn't the last time you're going to try this, then you can afford, like... this. The only n- time that you can't afford to fail... Is the last time you're willing to try. Yeah. And
2: I think that the scarcity of opportunity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, pe- yeah. pe- people talk about, oh, this is the land of the free. This is the, the, the American dream. Mira. <laughs> Look, like, opportunity is scarce. Yeah. And when it comes, you got to grab it. And mm-hmm. you got to... Yeah. And you cannot let it go, dude. And like, man, I, like, I started the company with $2,000. Every mistake cost me, you know? Sure. Dude, I would wait for checks to get there in the mail like freaking out because if the check didn't come in, I couldn't order tea. And if I couldn't order tea and the people ordered tea mm-hmm. and I didn't have inventory to sell them, then why You're wouldn't done. why wouldn't they go find another vendor? It would right. be irresponsible of them not to. And right. then they're never coming back to you. Of course. This kid can't even manage inventory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So it's like uh the scarcity of opportunity made every lesson urgent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that helped a lot is like, uh, this like theme that I guess that we keep coming back to is like uh, throwing yourself in the fire so that your mistakes cost you. If your mistakes don't cost you anything, you'll never learn anything. You know? Mm.
1: And you, you mentioned when you, the, the moment between the knocking on the next door though, that you went home. Yeah. Smoked smoke punch a joint, punch a bunch of things. Whatever. What, what is, what was it about what did, what self care did you need in order to be able to knock on the next door with the confidence that you needed like do you yeah i mean yoga and breath work honestly
2: mm-hmm. you know it was like uh and and karate like karate i can't i can't understate it's a shame that it's gotten such a lame connotation in pop culture really because it's And now I've been practicing karate like consistently for the past nine years, and I think that it's a it's like a psycho spiritual exercise just as much as yoga is. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Like, because where in business, your mistakes cost you dollars in karate, your mistakes cost you a cracked rib, yeah. you know? <laughs> right? So you cannot, you know, you have to figure out how to make it work, you know? yeah. And, and like, it's a lot easier to go try to sell tea to somebody and they say no, than it is to take a, to take a punch to the ribs. You know what I mean? That hurts, man. You mm-hmm. know? And doing and coming back the next day and doing that for years, I, I, man. Like I think that it does something to the brain that it that it teaches you the urgency of those opportunities. You know, mm. there's like this principle in karate is be calm and swift, and that's it. Like there's wow. an opportunity, just be calm and swift. Be calm. But you gotta be swift, go and get it and grab it. you know, grab yeah. it like if you're a thief in the night, like you can't leave a trace, you gotta just grab it and bring it back as quickly as possible
0: and That's it now you got it. I talk about this a lot, but um i so I've been teaching I've been teaching kids and adults how to play chess for like the better part of a decade. What I find fascinating is like learning how to play and how to teach chess also made me a more focused actor mm. because one of the things that I will tell the kids that I teach, especially about the idea that like mistakes will cost you. The biggest thing that I like teach the kids, uh, or that I tell the kids who are playing competitive, like kids that I'll take the national championships is it does not matter if you played 99 good moves. If on move 100, you miss something, like you blunder, you miss something that causes you to lose the game. Mm. So I tell them you are always one move away from either winning or losing, which means every move needs to be thorough. Every move needs to be thought out. Every move needs to be the best possible choice you can make in that moment. Exactly. And the thing I have, like, I've, I've got kids who will come to me now, like talented players who will come to me and say, like... They'll lose a game and be like, I lost this game, but I was winning, you know, for the first 30 moves. I'm like, do you think I care about the first 30 moves? And like, no. It's like, what am I going to tell you? Like, it only takes one move to win or lose. Were you paying attention on the move that you lost? Like right before that, were you paying attention right before you lost? No. So what happened?
2: Yeah. But it's like, how, how do we center ourselves? You know what right? I mean? I think that it's like, we, we have the blessing and the curse of, existing in a in a baby culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is like you know, I, I I go to China uh and I study Chinese culture a lot because that's the that's the birthplace of tea. The Ten thousand year old culture, you know what I mean? I feel like it's like they have a lot of, you know, it's like I'm not saying China's perfect. You know, it's right. not it's not perfect by any means. But there's but they have practices that help them center themselves. Of course. Right? Yeah. That are, that are handed down. And I think that we're just kind of like, um, we're just kind of discovering that. We're just kind of figuring that out. And that, like,
1: you know, uh, yeah, we're just kind of figuring that out. As
0: a society and a culture, we're very young. Yes. Yeah.
1: How do you find that balance now as you're exploring, trying to, to acknowledge the history and depth of this work and bring it and expand a new audience here Um, without falling into those traps yourself.
2: I think that I followed the rules for the first maybe like uh six or seven years of my tea practice, you know? I did everything by the book. And now I don't believe in the rules anymore. Mm. Now like uh I like tomorrow I'm gonna go to the dead rabbit and teach a bunch of bartenders about how to make tea tea rum punches. I would have never done that like the day that I left the temple You know, I would have been like, oh, tea is sacred, how are you going to make a cocktail out of it? You know? Right. But at the same time, it's like, all right, you're familiar with cocktails. I'm going to make you the best cocktail you've ever made in your life. And you're one of the best bartenders in the country, I'm going to make you the best cocktail you've ever had in your life. And then you're going to understand why tea is special.
0: It really is like what they used to tell us in, uh, in acting school that took me forever to understand. You have to fully understand the structure. In order to throw it away. Yeah. But the ultimate goal is to throw it away.
2: And, and I still practice the rules, you right. know? I still, I, like, I still practice brewing tea as a practice, mm-hmm. you know? Like, th- this is kind of crazy. Like, I'm going to brag a little bit if you'll forgive me. Do it. But, dude, so, like, the, uh, there's a thing called the Tea Master's Cup. It's an international competition. Uh, 27 different countries compete in it, right? And uh, it's, like, the goal is to crown the world's tea master every year. 2019 was the first year that America was going to compete in the Team Masters Cup. I'm a Cuban kid from Miami. I'm the first ever American Team Master.
1: What, dude? Wow, that's amazing. It's ridiculous. Congratulations, man. That's
0: brilliant. <laughs> that's it's awesome. It's ridiculous.
1: It's crazy. It's like,
2: it's like what? It's like also it... the
1: most perfectly like idealistic American statement
0: ever. Yeah, right? like,
2: <laughs> I think so. But yeah, man, it's like, and, and like, you can't do that without, without a deep understanding of the rules, you know? Because I, like, I can go in front of a, in front of a panel of judges without a stopwatch, without a timer, without a scale, just with a teapot and tea. And like, you give me the tea, that's fine. Like, I don't, you know, like I can, I can, I can figure out how to make it work, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, the only, you you can only achieve that by following the rules, unfortunately, right? Yeah. Once you, once you, yeah, once you, once you learn those rules, then bending them is, You're not bending them just to bend them. Right. You're bending them to make a point, right? It's like language
0: and poetry, right? Mm. If somebody is inventing words to invent words, it's not interesting. But I I think that really is the true sign of mastery. And I like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story I heard from, uh, from Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. Mastery is a
2: big word yes, and a big concept.
0: You know, like
2: the tea masters that I know in China that have been making tea, I'm not talking about brewing tea. I'm talking about plucking tea, rolling it, bruising it, allowing it to oxidize to the perfect amount, roasting it at the perfect temperature. Yeah. If you call those people tea master, they get offended.
0: Yeah. They say, listen, I'm a student. The day that I die, you can call me a team T-master. Well, this, so Maurice Ashley, who is the first and so far the only African-American chess grandmaster. Wow. When he was, when he was studying to become a master at chess, there was a, there was a grandmaster that he would play with regularly and he could never win. And so he would study these books. He would study these variations about what to play with this opening versus that opening and like would try to understand and study this person to try and beat them. And so there was one day he sat down. He had been playing this grandmaster enough to know what his systems were and how he operated. And so, he studied specifically to combat that. And he figured out this variation and the grandmaster still just like wiped the floor with him. (laughs) And he goes, I don't understand because I studied the variations. I looked at the opening lines. I looked at what to do. Like, I read this book and whatever. And he said, "This this is an Eastern European gentleman who didn't speak a whole lot of English, but he looks at him, he looks at his book, and he says very simply to him, "Grandmaster, stronger than book. So, like, when you understand something deeply mm. and completely, you don't need, like, the rules, in some cases, do not apply. Well, because like sh- you know when they can be broken. It's yeah. like
1: Shakespeare, right? You, like you, you get, like everyone before him is writing in perfect time of metameter and you get Shakespeare who's completely capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. If music be the food of love play on, he can write something that sounds beautiful, and correct. And then he's also the person who's going to be like, nah, 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 fuck that. I'm going to start this play with now is the winter of our discontent. Right. Right. And who's going to, uh, uh, have the fifth line of Merchant of Venice be, uh, 14 syllables instead of 10. Wow. Like there is this like you have to be able to know the form but you you become the one who reinvents the form and creates something new mm-hmm. once you start to break those rules that you've spent your life learning
2: well right. but i think that you know what i i think that the reason that i hesitated when you said that sure. is that i think that when you start breaking rules you discover new rules mm-hmm. mm. and then we and then and then digesting that takes a whole it's it takes a whole uh, another lifetime right a whole another uh Amount of time of practice, sure. you know. I don't.
0: I don't think you are ever entirely done. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I, yeah. If
2: if you are, then what you're doing is too easy. Exactly. You know. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Theater's perfect because it's imper. Because it's impossible to be perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that for that reason, you could spend your whole life studying it and then dissecting it. And as as you grow in life and change, and have you as you have different experiences,
1: the angle at which you're going to come to the theater from it's going to be completely different as we're wrapping up i want to, i want to ask you, you you started this conversation by saying that you you haven't done theater in 10 years or Yeah. Whatever, right the, but i will like a lot of the stuff that you say still sounds very much like you're doing a form of theater from the auditioning by going to each place and we don't sell tea we don't serve tea here that's not our brand whatever yeah to being the first american uh Tea master, tea master. Yeah, it's like the and, highest uh, show time and performing in yeah. front of a panel. Absolutely, right. To from what I've uh, uh, read on your website about your tea company, which we should talk about the name right at the end after this yeah, question. Cool, cool. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, where you have this tea room that almost sounds like a theatrical experience. Yes, it's like it it's, is. It's absolutely. an environment that you're inviting an audience into um, to the the under the breath of each sip of tea to the uniqueness of each leaf. Um, and no
2: windows, and no Wi-Fi, and no sandwiches, and no coffee, and no
1: bath. Like no, right? We, it'll be okay. All that stuff will still be there. What I mean, what you're experiencing, in, or what you've expressed about your journey from Atlantic to to JoJo, yeah, and then about the drinking of tea itself, which is the same core thing that happens in great theater. This idea of just being in the moment, letting each moment blossom, and staying in it longer than might be comfortable, mm. uh, but investing being, yourself in it, yeah. But investing yourself in it, and it's really and so there's nothing more boring than what's comfortable. Yeah, you know,
2: I think that it's like that's the biggest trap in the world is comfort. That when when somebody says no to the tea, when you when when we get when we well, I can't say we I'm, I haven't gone to an audition in a long time, <laughs> but when I got when I you know when I got shot down when I got shot down trying to sell tea to somebody. Man, it would, there would be nothing more comfortable than going home and laying down and wallowing in my own misery. Sure. You know? That's death. That's that's the end, you know? Yeah. Comfort. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's important because we all need our rest, but right. it's a trap. It's but a there's trap.
0: a difference between like, there's a difference between that and complacency. Yes. That sounds like a perfect place to stop, except...
2: Where yeah, does the wanna... name
1: Jojo T come from?
2: Okay. So, dude, why is it called Jojo T? When I was living in New York, my oldest sister had a baby and I wasn't around. Actually, dude, you remember that shit show during the one act when I puked yes, on yes, stage yes, yes, and yes, almost yes, got expelled? Yes. That was the night that he was born.
0: Oh, wow. No way. Now,
2: Danny Adler and I went out and drank tequila until 16 in the morning and then I had a fucking matinee performance the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, and then I almost got expelled, et cetera, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So, that was my nephew, Andy. He was born that day. About a year later, I'm living in New York, you know, they show him a picture of everybody in the family and they start pointing at everybody, who's this, who's this? Then just to see what he would say, they point to me and they go, who's this? And he looks, Jojo. (laughs) And my whole family goes, yes, (laughs) yes, Jojo. And then, bro, I get back from New York, my whole family's like, Jojo! I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, Andy said that you're Jojo. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we showed him a picture of everybody in the family. We pointed to you. He said you're Jojo. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Okay. All right, I'm Jojo then. Dude, four years later, I'm like, man, I'm going to start a tea company. What am I going to name it? I'm thinking about all these ridiculous, esoteric Chinese names. I'm like, you know what? I like Jojo Tea. I, like, I feel like it's catchy, it's easy to remember, it's, yeah. it's repetitive, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's the name that my nephew gave me, so like, I'll fight for it, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Dude, check this out. Like, five months after that, I'm having dinner with a friend of mine who's Chinese. He goes to me, so why'd you name it Jojo T? I go, oh, it's, it's meaningless, it's a nickname that my nephew gave me. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, you're teaching your nephew Chinese so young. Jojo means maternal uncle in what? Chinese. Wow. What? Wow. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I applied for the trademark the next day.
0: Oh my <laughs> God. <That's> amazing. <laughs> wow.
1: is that ridiculous? That's incredible, man. Yeah. That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> I don't even want to say anything else after that. That's like such a lovely button.
1: It is, but it's me, so I'm going to ruin it. Coming <laughs> next week, our spinoff of This would Know, JoJo and Danny. Hey, all right. <laughs> Chess Adventures with uh, the Grandmasters. That's right. <laughs> This week on Twitter, podcast delivery. Who is at podcast delivery? Says hosts at the Daniel Kemper and at Montgomery Sutto bring us at this would know all about Queens-based theater company at Rude Grooms. Hear from talented artists discussing things from the business of theater to the mental fortitude needed to chase dreams. Thank you for the love. Also this week, Brendan Kelso, who is at Shakespeare Number Four Kid on Twitter, shared some of his Shakespeare for Kids series with us. And let me just say, earmuffs kids, holy! Oh, vengeance! They're amazing. Each book includes three melodramatic modifications of Shakespeare's plays for three different group sizes: six to seven, eight to fourteen, or eleven to twenty plus. If you're a teacher, get on it. But also, if you just need some fun for your social distancing Zoom calls, get you and your group some of these Shakespeare for Kids and show yourselves good time. You can also visit his Twitter page, at Shakespeare4Kid, and watch Hamlet for Kids Reader Theater Teacher Edition, where a group of elementary and middle school teachers from around the country present a social distanced version of that adaptation. And also this week, Amber Elby, who is at Amber Elby on Twitter, tweets... This Wood Know has uplifting theater-esque talk with a good dose of quality friendships. Well, thank you for the recommendation, Amber, and we are grateful for our quality friendship with you. If you have thoughts on this week's episode, please share them with us at This Wooden O on Instagram or Twitter using hashtag RGWoodenO, or email an audio response to ThisWoodenO at RudeGrooms.com. You can also become a patron at Patreon.com slash RudeGrooms to view unabridged video recordings of every episode. This week's episode includes an extended post-show where Mike teaches us how to properly brew tea. It's awesome. The entire month.
0: Go get it. Daniel, do you have some recommendations for us, I wonder? We recommend Tiger King on Netflix. Uh, With so many of us shut in right now, of everything that is going on, we all could use a little bit of levity and whimsy and magical realism and holy mother of God, this show is bananas. It's Part reality TV show Part documentary uh, That never happened uh, With more twists and turns Than a friggin Hot Wheels track Um, I just finished the entire series In a day and a half And was glued to my seat The entire time And I'm actually gonna issue a challenge To everybody who's hearing this recommendation Watch the show and then tell me what you think about Carol. And that is all I'm gonna say.
1: Monty, what do you got? This week, I'm recommending another podcast, Hollywood caucus, which is hosted by Jonathan Del Arco and Tara Carcian. Uh, some of you may know Jonathan Del Arco from Star Trek, the next generation or Star Trek Picard, where he plays Hugh, the coolest Borg. Um, it is a brilliant show that features a different actor each week talking about their career and the industry, but then uniquely pivoting into their politics and exploring the political drive behind these actors work. Uh, Uh, There are so many wonderful episodes, but last week they featured Patrick Stewart uh, all recording from their respective quarantines. And it is a wonderful episode and such a powerful example of how one can use the adversity of this moment to create something delightful and inspiring.
0: Uh, Mike, this was a fantastic conversation, brother. Thank you so much for coming in. Please let people know where on the internet they can find you. Let them know about where they can find the company, all of that.
2: Cool. So sipjojo.com is our website. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're like interested in tea and you want to kind of get access to some really good teas, something that we do is called the Jojo Club. It's a seasonal subscription. We send out four boxes a year and each box is basically me curating what are the best teas that we have access to that uh, that I recommend drinking during this season. Right. So it's all, it's curated based on um, the, the effect of the tea. There are certain teas that are more cooling on the body. There are certain teas that are more cozy and warming in the body. So I move through, you know, based on what's being plucked and what's being processed when, and how it's going to make you feel. I try to find the most appropriate teas for each season. The the last box was focused exclusively on poor. So we had a 2014, a 2012, a 2007,
1: and a 1999. Oh my God. And,
2: uh, and, and the 2007 and the 1999 were Hong Kong aged, which like they aged their poor under increased humidity for three years. And then they gradually reduce the humidity, uh, like very slight percentages every year. So that they like um, encourage enzymatic activity and microbial wow. activity and breakdown of the leaf. And then they stabilize it by lowering the humidity, you know. And that, there's like very, very, very little Hong Kong wet storage raw pour in the Western Hemisphere, you know. Hmm. So that's that, so yeah, if you and and like you know, it comes with like a, I put a lot of work into a write up about each of the teas. First, I describe like what the what the theme is of the season and why. And then I go into each of the teas. Where does it come from? How is it made? Who made it? And why? And What makes it special? How do you brew it? How, do you, how should you drink it? What should you look for when you drink it, etc.? Um, that's the Jojo Club. Uh, it's $78 a box, $78 per season. And it's enough tea to have tea all season. And then... Um, I'm doing that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And on Instagram, we are sip Jojo. S-I-P-J-O-J-O. S-I-P-J-O-J-O. And, uh, that's a good way to kind of keep in touch with the brand and keep up with the brand and see kind of what we're up to. Our, our biggest, um, accomplishment right now, we're just setting up Virgin Cruise Lines and that's super exciting, you know, so we had some stuff up on our stories, et cetera, about setting that
1: up and it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> Are there places people can get your teas in New York?
2: Yes. Uh, Malaparte is a really cool, um, rustic Italian spot in the West Village. There's another really cool, like, seafood and vegetarian-focused Italian spot called Osteria 57 in the West Village. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Chef Ricardo, is the man. He's the man. He's amazing. I love that guy. Uh, Café Integral in Soho. Uh, Café Integral. We do a lot of their um, teas. And uh, is that it? That might be it for now. Okay. Yeah. And any New York tours, reach out to us if you want some great tea. There
0: it is. I <laughs> know,
1: well, I'm going to sip some JoJo. Good, man. Good, good.
0: <laughs> that will do it for this week's episode of This Wooden O. My name is Daniel.
1: And uh, I'm Monty next to Danny. You can find me. <laughs>
0: On Twitter and Instagram At the Danny. Daniel Kemper <laughs> oh, Jesus What have I done? I'm sorry, I'm
2: sorry, I'm sorry uh,
1: No, I, I won't do it this time, I promise <laughs> Clean take, I promise you
0: <laughs> Why do I not believe you at all? Not even in the slightest Because look at my face <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it I can't even do it. Uh,
1: Twitter next. <laughs> Look, I'll do this.
0: <laughs> okay. Nope. I'm do like, your sign-off. I'm up. like on pins and needles. Do your sign-off. I don't even... At nope. the
2: Daniel Kemper. There it is. At the Daniel Kemper on Twitter. At the Daniel Kemper on
1: Instagram. There it is.
0: Ah! Go. Go.
1: And I'm at uh, Danny at Danny.com. <laughs> At Montgomery Dano on you. Twitter <laughs> and on uh, uh, at Montgomery Dan Nun on Instagram.
0: Great, we got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of This Wooden O, hosted and produced by Daniel Kemper and Montgomery Sutton. Original music is by Kara Arena. This Wooden O is brought to you by Rude Grooms, a Queens, New York-based theater company creating epically intimate theatrical experiences in public spaces, non-traditional venues, and new media. Learn more at rudegrooms.com or follow us on social media at Rude Grooms and at This Wooden O. Just one more thing. Or, well... Two more things. Because of complications from COVID-19, we're taking next week off to test our remote streaming and recording before getting back on track. When we do, though, we'll be including a free public live stream of the recording session, and we want to engage with each one of you in the chat. So follow us on social media, at thiswoodno on Twitter and Instagram, or on Facebook, at this wooden o to get full details on how to tune in live. Patrons will still get an exclusive conversation after the show, so sign up at patreon.com slash rudegrooms if you'd like to show your support and get access to our whole back catalog of unabridged livestream videos. In the meantime, we've partnered with Seven Stages Shakespeare to launch Shakespeare Happy Hours, free 90-minute virtual readings of Shakespeare performed at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It all starts this Wednesday, April 1st, with William Shakespeare's The Tempest. Visit shakespearehappyhours.tv, follow at shxprhappyhours on Twitter and Instagram, and like Shakespeare Happy Hours on Facebook to stay up to date.